Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to week two of I'll Never Forget. See, I got to look at the sign because I wouldn't remember if I didn't look at the sign. So anyway, I got to get that burned in there a little bit, right? So um, anyway, it's going to be a great week here at Crossroads. Um, we'll be together for about 65 minutes or so. And hi to our online friends, whether you're watching live or sometime in the future. We really love having you guys with us. All our resources are on alumnychurch.org or connect at Crossroads, all one word. That would be great. Our host, our chat host today is Barb Poor. So if you're online, uh, ask her a dumb question. You know, so why does Jack's arm all tore up? Because I fought with a briar patch and lost. So looks like a shark bite. Anyway, anyway, so land sharks. Anyway, losing my place here. So hey, um, we're not gonna sing you out and embarrass you in any way, any more than I did myself. So uh, we're gonna have a great day at Crossroads. So would you please stand and sing with us?
Praise him with our hands this morning.
Your never 
You may be seated. Well, good morning, Crossroads. Hey, today we are in week two of a brand new series that we started last week called I'll Never Forget. And uh, you're in for a real treat today. Uh, we have the privilege of having Keisha, uh, Brandon's wife, the, who spoke last week, our daughter, which we're very proud of. And uh, listen, if you've ever heard her, you know she comes with a lot of spunk, a lot of fire, a lot of passion, and she just so happens to be a very, very good speaker as well. So would you give a warm Crossroads welcome this morning to Keisha Maybe? <clears throat> good morning. Good morning. Happy to be sharing this moment with you today. I want to welcome you to Crossroads. I think it's like halfway through July already. I know. I was just talking to someone backstage about how fast time goes. And it really does. I remember hearing that as a kid. Like, life goes so fast. But the older you get, I feel like, wow, it really does start picking up. So coming to speak is one of my favorite things to do. And every time I speak, my prayer has always been this. Use me, Jesus. This is my offering to you. It's a pretty bad one sometimes, but I am a pretty broken up vessel, but please use me. Take me out of the equation. And do not let Keisha speak, but let it be your words. So I'm humbly and praying that today we just feel the presence of Jesus in this room. And that his words speak to us, it changes us, heals us, and challenges us. So will you pray with me today? Jesus, your word is still alive. And we claim today that your words speak to us, the deepest crevices of our heart. Change us, help us to become more and more like you. We give this day to you, this moment to you. May this be your moment. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series this month of July all about things we will never forget, hence the elephant, which is a sprinkler, by the way. Do you know that? Like if you shoved a hose somewhere up the elephant, not sure where, the, the water would come out. That would be, I guess, fun for a minute until kids jumped on it and all that fun stuff. But that's a sprinkler. I bet you can get it on Amazon if you want one. Brandon talked last week about the dislike of the story he has about Abraham and Isaac and how he will never forget hearing that story and how it brought out anger in him and how he was emotionally charged and wrestled with God of how God could you tell Abraham to sacrifice his only son, but how ultimately it was a story that foreshadowed Jesus and what Jesus would do in us, for us. So today I get to share something in my spiritual walk that I will never forget. And I have notes in there. I'm real easy when it comes to notes. So it's pretty simple. But there are a few things that I will never forget. I will never forget the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I was seven years old. I was in second grade. I will never forget my baptism. It was at a pool in like Pittsford area at the Spratt's house. I'll never forget doubting my faith. That happens almost daily, so I'll never forget that. I will never forget the moment that Jesus showed up at Lake Michigan and told me I wasn't forgotten. I'll never forget all the church hurts that ministry has brought in my life. I'll never forget the times I've gotten angry with God and yelled at him. I'll never forget the times that I've detoured away from God 
And I'll never forget the times that God has reminded me of his faithfulness. But today I'm going to share something a little more simple, yet something that's a constant learning curve. I will never forget when I learned that Jonah wasn't about the whale. Jonah and the whale go together like PB&J. French fries and vinegar if it were up to me. It is a story that people far and wide know. We aren't even sure how we know it. We just do. It's just one of those stories. It's like you're born with it. If you were to travel around asking people to name one book of the Bible or one story in the Bible, people would probably say Jonah and the whale because it's popular. I bet also Noah and the ark would probably be up there too. Probably the two most popular ones that would be named. And Jonah and the whale, for some reason, is dubbed a cute story. I even looked up some Jonah and the whale themes for this week, and some of the whales were like even smiling. Like, come to VBS, kids. Here's this ginormous fish whale thing that ate a guy, but look, he's smiling. It's cute. Whales are beautiful, and they are majestic. When I went to Alaska a couple years ago with my grandma, I was bound and determined to see a whale. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see a whale. We saw a moose butt, I saw grizzly bears, but I wanted to see a whale. And we were making our way to this huge glacier, and I decided that I was going to stand on the outside of the boat with ice flying at my face, and I'm going to wait and I'm going to pray for a whale. And in the midst of all the cold and ice, I wanted to see a whale. The coolest thing happened. A humpback whale started to breach the surface and started playing around the boat. And the, the guy that was driving the boat, he said, this doesn't happen very often. This is not a place that the humpback whales like to hang out. And I remember I just started bawling because it was the most spiritual thing I think I have ever witnessed was this whale. And I thought, how beautiful is this whale? But you know what I never thought? I never thought, I hope that whale swallows me whole. I never thought that. It was way cuter for me to be safely on the boat than it was for me to be into a whale. And so if you think of a whale swallowing a human, which I guess recently happened, I saw two kayakers were swallowed up by a whale. He quickly spit them back out. But if you let yourself think on that for a second, that is not cute at all. It's what nightmares are made of. But this story doesn't just end with a whale. And I will never forget finally grasping the story and how uncomfortable it made me. How I understood why we like to leave it at just the whale and Nineveh. And I'm always looking for fun ways to share the Bible because it has to be fun because sometimes the Bible is boring, let's be honest. And I recently took Mason, my youngest daughter, I took her to her first concert. And we like to try to do for birthdays, like experiences over gifts. So we chose a concert for her experience. So I took her to a little venue, you might have heard of it, called Ford Field. And I took her to see a small upcoming artist called Taylor Swift. And I've known about Taylor Swift for a while. I know her songs. Like when a song comes out, I'm like, oh yeah, Taylor Swift, she's good. But seeing her live has completely won me over. Like, I want to learn all the things about Taylor Swift, and I'm becoming a Swifty, and I'm proud of that. So she's currently re-recording all of her albums that she's put out, and she's calling them the album plus 
Taylor's version. So like one just got released called Speak Now, Taylor's version. So I thought, how fun would it be to hear the story of Jonah according to Taylor? So it would go a little something like this, okay? This is Jonah, Taylor's version. God shows up to Jonah and says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them my judgment is coming to the people. And you know what Jonah does? This is his response. He said, let's get out of this town, drive out of the city, away from the crowd. I thought heaven can't help me now, nothing lasts forever, but this is gonna take me down. Yep, he leaves town. He goes the opposite direction, completely opposite of Nineveh. He's headed on a boat to Tarshish. And then God is like, nah, not happening, buddy. And he sends a huge storm. And the people on the boat are like, what is going on? Who is causing this? Who is this to blame? And Jonah responds. It's me. And everyone on the boat collectively is like, and they threw him overboard per Jonah's instructions. He's like, throw me over. And a whale comes and swallows him whole. And the whale, it seems, had no choice. Like, he is just like, oh, I have to swallow this, and no choice. And he greets Jonah by saying this. Jonah, obviously not loving his new current condition, begins to pray inside the whale. This lamenting prayer, this you are a good God that has saved me from death prayer. And God summons the whale to spit Jonah out. Jonah lands on the beach and looks at the whale and I assume would say this to the whale. God speaks to Jonah again, go to Nineveh and tell them I will destroy them. Jonah obeys. He doesn't run this time. He heads right towards Nineveh and tells them this message, that in 40 days, God will destroy Nineveh. Nineveh's people believe this, and everyone starts fasting and praying, and the king declares, you must fast, you must pray, turn from your evil ways, stop your violence, and let's pray that God changes his mind. And God sees Nineveh, and he sees their pure repentance, and he changes his mind. And he says to them, this is how I feel about you, Nineveh. And then this is where the book usually stops for most people. This is where we like to stop. And this is where the book gets uncomfortable for me because it just feels icky. Jonah is upset. He's upset that God changed his mind. And he looks at Nineveh and he looks at God and he says, Baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you've done. 
and he throws a royal fit. He goes on, Jonah does, in this tantrum, and he says this to God. Come on, come on, don't leave me like this. I thought I had you figured out. Something's going to be wrong, won't finish what you started. And that, my friends, concludes Jonah Taylor's version. And even though that's a lighthearted way of telling this story, it doesn't negate the discomfort of it. I will never forget the discomfort I felt when I actually read this story. See, the book of Jonah is only four chapters long, but I don't like to read the fourth chapter because it makes me uncomfortable and uneasy. See, I don't need stories to have happy endings. I read murder books for fun. Like, I don't need the story to wrap up cute, but it doesn't wrap up at all. Jonas just doesn't. It just is left completely undone, and it makes me feel undone, and I don't like things that are not completed. And the truth of it all is this. Not only is it not completed, but it hits too close to home. Jonah completely disobeyed God, which we get. We've all been there. Like you say, nah, I'm not doing that, God. Not doing that this way. Thanks for the offer, but not. And I find it interesting that when this storm hits Jonah, the people on the boat have to find Jonah on the boat. They actually have to look for him. He's sleeping. And they're like, Jonah, what are you doing? And in this moment, if Jonah really felt bad or guilty or anxious for disobeying God, I don't think he'd be sleeping very well. I just find that odd. That if he actually felt guilty and felt regret for his decision in that moment, he wouldn't be sleeping so well. But his disobedience, his boat ride, his sleeping on the boat, and him being swallowed by a whale are not where we're going to hover today. The part we are going to focus on today and the part that I will never forget happens in the third and the fourth chapter, mainly in the fourth chapter. For me, the fourth chapter is the chapter I like to avoid when reading Jonah. It made me feel so uncomfortable, and I didn't like how it ended. And I have a hard time reconciling, reconciling these things in my own heart. Jonah is not one that I can reconcile well with. So let's start by wrapping up the second chapter. So Jonah is currently sitting on fish guts and rotting seaweed, praying to God. I'm going to read his prayer because I think it's a strong perspective for where Jonah's heart is at this current moment. So Jonah says this, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean's depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me, and I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered a fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah, who blatantly disobeyed God, finds being in the belly of a fish as God's action of grace. 
He understands that his disobedience separated himself from God. And when the people on the boat threw him over into the raging seas during a storm, that could have been the end of him. He believes that God did not give him what he deserved. He sees God orchestrating a giant fish to swallow him as a sign of his grace. And he's thankful for that. Jonah was thankful to receive God's grace. We all can begin to see ourselves in Jonah, maybe not sitting in the digestive system of a sea creature, but in the way of receiving God's grace in a moment we did not deserve. Many of us here today have a story, a moment, a before and after of a time that you were living a certain way or feeling a certain way or made a decision that you know was not best. And in that story, I imagine a lot of us have a moment where we receive God's grace instead of what we deserved. Not getting what was coming for us, but we're given a second chance and another opportunity. Something was made new when we thought it was over or ruined. When a decision we made could have ended one way, but in God's grace, he redeemed it. We are Jonah. Sitting in our own kind of rot and realizing that our decisions could have landed us at the bottom of the sea. But through God's grace, the trajectory changed. Do you remember the feeling of grace? Do you remember how relieving it is? How overwhelmingly loving it can feel? The peace that washes over us when we realize we are not seen for what we have done, but we are wrapped up in a blanket of God's grace and given new opportunities. Jonah was experiencing this grace firsthand, and he relished it. He was thanking God for his grace. And then once the whale spit him back up onto the land, he did as he was told. He was still riding on grace and wanted to show his appreciation and wanted to fulfill his vows to God. And off to Nineveh he went. Then we see that Jonah does exactly as he's told. He tells the Ninevites that God will bring judgment to them in 40 days. And something amazing happens here. All of a sudden their king declares that everyone should fast, dress in burlap sack, repent of all of their evil ways and pray that God changes his mind. And in chapter three, verse 10, it says this, when God saw what they had done and how they had to put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This right here is something that I think would make a riveting theological discussion. Can God change his mind? Here in Jonah, we see that he did that he set out to destroy a complete city of Nineveh, and yet he decided not to. He changed his mind. For me, that brings great comfort. And I bet Nineveh had the same feeling. Thank you, God, that you changed your mind. I'm saying this collectively as a whole group. Thank you, God, that you change your mind sometimes for us. We now enter into the chapter that most of us never want to focus on. Dun, 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 chapter four. I told Brandon that I did not like how often he spoke last week about Abraham and Isaac and how much he didn't like it because he kept saying, I don't like this story. I don't like this story. I'm like, that's how I feel about this chapter. Now it's going to feel like I'm copying him, but I am totally not. I also don't like this chapter. It 
but it's so real and it's so relatable. And I think in a world that wants to pretend to be okay, this chapter is so honest and it makes me feel better. So I'm going to read chapter four first, and then we're going to sit in it for a few minutes together. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah went very grateful, was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Noah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for just such a great city? And then it ends. I think the first thing that stands out to me in this chapter is the response Jonah had to something he had zero control over. It says Jonah became angry over God's change of plans. Is this not the most relatable verse in all of the Bible? Then I don't know what is. I've been there. Believing and hoping for one thing, and then for some reason, it seems that the plans were altered without my permission. Without consulting me first, God, really? Like, are you joking? Can you believe how silly that sounds that Jonah was upset that God had the audacity to change his plans? Yet it sounds so familiar. God's change of plans or even his original plans tend to frustrate us. Usually when they are not what we imagined or what we wanted, the slightest alteration can send us in a tizzy. We want to demand, why God? What is going on here? Why is this happening? Where even are you in this? And it's interesting when we can remove ourselves from the story and view this via someone else's story and think, why are you, Jonah, so mad at a plan that wasn't even yours to begin with? One you didn't even want to go along with in the first place, and you choose to become angry? And Jonah's response is so similar to our own that it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to be seen in moments like this. He starts to call God out by saying, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. This is a wild response from Jonah, is it not? 
he uses God's grace and compassionate ways against him. What a burn. See, I knew you would do this, God. I knew you would be merciful and compassionate, full of grace and love. I knew you're eager to change your mind on destroying people. And if this is how it will be, then kill me. (laughs) He said he would rather be dead than to not see the thing he predicted come to fruition. Hmm, we're like taking the spotlight from God and like shifting it for a second onto ourselves. Remember, what he predicted originally was for death and destruction to come to a whole city of people. And this is what Jonah is mad about. He is so angry that God is not going to kill people. That God's wrath is converting into grace and mercy. That God's destructive hand is going to be one full of love and compassion. He is mad that God wants to be gracious. See, Jonah wanted God's grace for himself, but not for others. That is what it boils down to. Jonah is mad that God is extending the same grace that he gave Jonah to the Ninevites. He was so grateful to receive grace from God, so grateful that he was not sinking to the bottom of the sea, so grateful for a second chance of life, receiving something he didn't deserve, and just days later, he is livid that God is taking that same beautiful gift and blessing someone else with it. And not just someone else, 120,000 someone else's. A whole city. This part of the book is what starts to make me feel really uncomfortable. Because it felt like Jonah was throwing a straight tantrum. And he was acting like a toddler for not getting his way. I want the green cup, mom. Not the blue cup. How dare you? And that upset me. Because I will never forget being a young adolescent and being like, Jonah, dude. Do you not remember the belly of the whale? Do you not remember the smell of fish guts up your nose and rotting carcass? Do you not remember the seaweed entangled around your legs and your hands? Do you not remember that God just gave you his grace basically yesterday? This part really annoys me. And I, like so many people, want to skip over chapter four. Yay, Nineveh saved and done. But if I'm honest with myself, it isn't just because Jonah's response makes me feel annoyed. It's because I am Jonah's response. Jonah is me. I am him. There have been countless times that I want to soak up God's grace, but am not thrilled when God's grace is given out to others that I do not think deserve it. I'm wondering if we could even dub this the Jonah complex. I want God's grace, and I am A-okay with that person getting God's grace because I like them. And they did not hurt me. But not this person, and definitely not these people. And forget it if they cross that line. Nope, not okay with it. I believe that God is a God of justice as well. Don't get me wrong. But I too often crave revenge and payback and punishment far more than I do grace and mercy and forgiveness. The Jonah complex is hoping that the person that wronged you gets what is coming to them. That the person who is living this sinful life experiences extreme punishment. Let's be honest, so many of us want that for people. How many of us, when someone gets off on something, we're like, oh, darn it. 
hoping that person that cut you off in the grocery aisle finds out their peanut butter Oreos are all sold out. <laughs> Been there, done that. Or that person that passes me in the speeding lane, I hope there's a cop right there. I've all done it. And if you haven't, then I am the sinner in this room. Hoping that person that has wronged you at work, that jerk that you have to work with gets demoted and fired. Grace is the exact opposite. It is loving our neighbor as ourselves. I heard a few years ago someone explain this verse in a way that completely changed a lot of perspective for me. Loving our neighbor is really wanting what I want, hope, and desire for someone else in the same way. If I want grace despite my wrongs, it is wanting grace for others despite their wrongs. If I want a second chance when I've hurt someone, it's wanting a second chance for someone else the same. If I want to be seen beyond my flaws, it is seeing others beyond their flaws. Loving our neighbor is wanting for others the same things that I want for myself with the same intensity I want them. Jonah wanted grace for himself. Jonah didn't want that same grace for others. See, the Jonah complex happens when we do this one thing that Jonah did. Jonah made it the story about himself and not about God. Jonah was so focused on what he wanted, which is why he ran in the first place. And then when he thought he learned, he still was upset because things didn't go as he planned or didn't think they'd go as they should go in his mind. And he continually made this story and what happened to Nineveh all about him and not about God and what God was trying to do. Like, I want this God. I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. No, thank you. Can't do that, God, because I don't want to. Jonah was so frustrated that God's grace and his love was ex extended beyond him. He couldn't handle that. It wasn't all about him and his wants and his needs. I want your grace, God, but please don't give it to that person or that one. At least not in an obvious manner where I have to pretend to celebrate them. And please not that one. That makes me look bad. Or that negates them of that punishment, which they know they need, God. You know they need that punishment. So not that kind of grace, please. God tries to reason with Jonah through a visual in chapter 4. He gives him a tree to shade him to help his physical discomfort. And then he sends a worm to eat the plant. Eee, makes Jonah mad. Then a hot wind makes Jonah hot and uncomfortable. Jonah becomes even more upset. Then God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because this plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Can we pause and just note something? God wasn't just bothered by destroying a whole city of people. He was also bothered by destroying animals. So, for all of you animal lovers out there, God didn't want to hurt the animals. He cares, my friends, about your furry and reptilian friends. 
unpause. And this is why this chapter bothers me so much. Jonah doesn't change. We do not see Jonah redeem himself at this moment at all. He just continues to dig his heels in and put his foot down and root himself in these ideas that he matters most. That it's about his way, his thoughts, his comfort. And Jonah had a hard time seeing outside himself. He had a hard time empathizing with others. He had a hard time loving his neighbor as himself. He didn't understand nor care about what God was trying to do in the hearts of people of Nineveh. He was just more focused on the fact that it did not fit his agenda, his ideas, his thoughts. And as much as I wish the Jonah complex didn't exist today, it does. Thankfully, we can't see into the hearts of each other, right? That's kind of a good thing. But we can reflect on our own. Self-reflection is the most painful process one can endure. The place where we get real and honest with ourselves and uncover these hidden issues. The ones we try so hard to cover up or even make excuses for. And to begin that real messy work at looking at the deficits we may have, identifying them and starting to do the work to improve on them. For some reason, it's hard to do. And it feels ick. But I believe that it's more uncomfortable to pretend that we do not have deficits than it is to own them and do the work to improve them. I wonder what would happen if Jonah had simply paused and wrestled within that. What would happen if he would have just had some self-reflection? What would that have been like for him? The answer is I don't know. I don't know what happened to Jonah after chapter 4 closed and ended. But this is where grace is beautiful, because our stories haven't ended. Our chapter hasn't closed. There is still time for our own self-reflection and to honestly come before God and ask him to reveal the areas we hoard grace or we don't want to see his grace given. The people that we really are not happy with, it's wanting them to have grace extended to them. Or the people we hope get theirs the ones we even wish harm upon. It's wanting grace for them. I know no one really wants to admit that. But if we are honest with ourselves, we may discover that we too are prone to the Jonah complex. Loving our neighbor as oneself, wanting for someone the same things we want for ourselves is lifelong work. It's a journey. It's choosing daily to be attuned with yourself, asking God to spotlight your blind spots and practicing grace, practicing grace. I cannot practice something if I don't actually do it. So practicing grace, reflecting on others by asking, if this was me in this situation, what grace would I want shown to me? If I was in that situation, what grace would I want extended to me? And if we desire God's grace, my prayer for myself, and for us all is that we desire it for others in the same capacity with the same intensity. I want to end with this verse found in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, this is Jesus is talking in this verse, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sufficient means enough or adequate. If his grace is enough for us, it is enough for all. If I want that sufficient grace for me, then I need to want it for everyone. Let's want for our neighbors what we want for ourselves. Jesus' perfect love and grace. 
Jesus, help heal us from the Jonah complex. Jesus, we ask today, in this moment, when we are just imperfect, imperfect people, and you know this because you can see into our hearts, and you know all of those dark moments we have, and yet you still choose to love us anyway, and you still extend your grace to us. Jonah became an angry, angry man, God, when he wanted his way and did not want grace for anyone else. And I assume that if we were honest, we would have a lot of bitterness in this room because of people who have gotten grace that we didn't think deserved it. Work in us, Jesus. Do a fine work, not just today, but daily. Please bring us back to the foot of the cross and work in these moments. Help us to become people that extend grace well and freely and love. May we want for our neighbors what we want for ourselves. Forgive us in the moments that we have not, Jesus. Forgive me for the moments that I have wished punishment over grace, where I've wished someone to get what is coming to theirs instead of someone to get the love and compassion you extend. Forgive me for those moments. Help us to become people who see people as you see people. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, in a minute I'll be praying for offering and we'll get. How come that didn't work for me? Hmm. I guess I'll have to work on that. Right? It wouldn't be a trailer, it wouldn't be a Swifty song anyway if it was me. So she's okay, but yeah, anyway. So, hey. So, um, like I say, in a minute I'll be praying for our offering and. Um, God's going to ask us someday what we do with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And uh, I had some wonderful conversations with the team that got back from Honduras. And um, uh, just inspiring what, uh, what God did in their lives down there. And um, uh, to see a 15-year-old girl um, changed by experiencing that life compared to the life we have here. Anyway, so... Nope, didn't work there. I thought that would be a good time for a Swifty for a 15-year-old girl, right? Anyway, um, so uh, I just want to thank everybody that is a faithful supporter of Crossroads. allows us to do the things that we do here and um, uh, reach people for Christ, and that's what we're really all about, and um, uh, sharing our faith and all those kind of things. So anyway, um, so if you would begin to fill out these communication cards, those of you that have come here to Crossroads for a while know what these are about. If today's your first time here, awesome, glad to have you here, and uh, that helps us keep track of uh, people that come, prayer requests, um, also those online, if you go to connectcrossroads.org, all one word, that thing, you'll uh, be able to put prayer requests in there, and we do, we do have a dedicated team that does that every week, so complete confidentiality, but they'll pray for you, and um, what we need most in our lives is prayer, right? We, we all need that, so anyway... Um, how can you give? You can give online, go to our website, you can text, you can drop your, uh, if you're live with us here, you can drop your offering in the box over there, and um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to do it, so easy to find that out. So call the church office. If, if I've confused you enough, just call the church office, and, and they'll help you out. So anyway, well, gracious only Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for today. 
We thank you for a message um, about Jonah and how it works in our lives and how we, uh, we need to be uh, praying for the grace we have for everyone else. So we thank you for that. We ask you to bless every giver, multiply it, and use it in your name for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, so a couple things before I let you guys out of here. Um, next Sunday, uh, the 23rd, we'll be going one more, the third week of uh, I'll Never Forget. Uh, maybe the elephant will be blowed up by that time. He's kind of saggy over there. Anyway, um, I want to jump on it. No. I'm, God, why do I say that? That thing just comes out. It just, uh, you know, no, there, there's no filter. Yeah, he dares. Yeah, he'd love, he'd love to see that. So anyway, just join us next week for that. And uh, this week is a big summer blowout for K through fifth graders. And if you have a K through fifth grader, or you are, well, I don't see any K through fifth graders in here, but if you have one or know of one, uh, next uh, Thursday and Friday from, uh, that's, the, that's the 20th and 21st from 9 a.m. to noon each day, they're going to have a great time here. You probably saw the setup when you came in here. So anyway, hey, you guys have a great week. Bring your little ones, and uh, we'll see you next week.
Your heart beats like thunder. 